continue in the front part of your red hymnal on page 15, please rise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking Him, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to grant us forgiveness. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful, and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil, and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner.
O God, you rule over all things in wisdom and kindness. Take away everything that may be harmful, and give us whatever is good. Through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word. comes from Deuteronomy chapter 11, teaching the next generation to build their lives upon the Lord. Put these words of mine in your hearts and in your soul, and tie them on your wrists as signs and as symbols on your forehead. Teach them to your children by talking about them when you sit in your house and when you travel on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many on the land that the Lord promises to your fathers with an oath, as many as the days that the heavens remain over the earth. You see, I am placing before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God that I am giving you today, or the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord, your God, and you turn away from the path that I am commanding you today by walking after the gods whom you did not know. We'll continue with Psalm 78 on page 95.
23, beginning in verse 21. The unshakable certainty of righteousness from God. But now, completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. The law and the prophets testify to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. In fact, there is no differences because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as the atonement seed through faith in his blood. What happens to boasting then? It has been eliminated by what principle? By the principle of work? No, but by the principle of faith. For we conclude what a person is justified by faith without the works of the law. Our theme verse for today is printed for you there, Psalm 119. Alleluia. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Alleluia. Look at the fruit to recognize the message. Only what is built on the foundation of rock-solid truth will stand. Jesus speaks. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. You do not gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, do you? So then, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on bedrock. The rain came down, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. But it did not fall, because it was founded on bedrock. Everyone who hears these words of mine, but does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. It was completely destroyed. When Jesus finished speaking these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, and not like their experts in the law. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. I invite you to turn to our Confession of Faith, the Nicene Creed, as found on page 18. The 
Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated for our next hymn, number 390.
consider our second lesson from the book of Romans, chapter 3. And over the next few weeks, we'll take a look at each of these readings from Romans as we kind of have a, uh, a series of readings all in a row over most of the summer here. As we begin today, one question. Which false teaching is the most dangerous? If you had to rank them from really bad, like watch out, stay away, get out the bloodline gloves, this teaching is radioactive, all the way down to the equivalent of a child's skin knee. Where would you plot the different teachings of Scripture? And where would you put the different false teachings that you have heard about? And thinking to yourself, thinking to yourself, which one is the most dangerous of all. Maybe you think back to our Bible study Sunday morning last week, where we had this vision of, of a woman and a beast, and the Antichrist, and Armageddon, and all those scary terms hidden there in the book of Revelation that seem to, seem to terrify and seem to make the Christian wonder. Until God unravels it for us and says, Dear Christian, watch out. Martin Luther heard those words, he took the meaning to heart, and he pointed out the Roman Catholic Church and said, you know what, dear friends, look here. What they're teaching is that you are not fully right with God. What they're teaching is that Jesus did most of it, and it's up to you to confess the rest and do the rest. Maybe that's it. The most dangerous false teaching, that Jesus has not done it all. Or the flip side, the, the guys who piggyback on the Reformation, historical names like John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli, don't talk about them too much. But they kind of went the other way. And they said, well, okay, we'll admit that maybe Jesus did it all, but there's doubt to be found elsewhere. There's doubt as to whether, whether you are one of God's elect. Because really, God's the one to blame for people going to heaven or hell. John Calvin's error called double predestination. Maybe that's the worst. Because the Christian is always left wondering, on which side am I? Or the wondering, and the worrying, and the waiting. Am I really a Christian if my life doesn't show it? So if I were to ask you, which one is the, the most dangerous, the most dangerous false teaching, the, the teaching that Jesus warns us about most clearly? When he talks about wolves in sheep's clothing and picking figs from thistles, where do they all fit? What I propose to you today is that, yes, those false teachings and a whole host of others are exceedingly dangerous because they really counteract what the Bible says about this word, atonement. What in the world? Atonement, one of those churchy words that we don't use a whole lot outside of church. I can't imagine you, your boss calling you into your office, his office one day and saying, you know, that's something I've got to talk about. Atonement. This doesn't work that way. The actual word itself was invented by a Bible translator 
We talked about how Christians have been set at one with God. And he was scratching his head, scratching his head. How do I describe this for, for readers of the English Bible? That we are at one in this status of being at one with God. It's a little bit of an esoteric concept. And so he said, well, atone. At one. That Jesus has made you at one with God, or back into fellowship with God, baptized and brought into God's family, completely free of charge and without any doubt. So then, what really is the most dangerous false teaching? The answer, of course, anything that really strikes at this concept laid out for us in Romans chapter 3, the concept of atonement. Listen to how Paul puts it. Completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. The law and prophets testify to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. Okay, cool. Check the box. I understand that. Um, I've avoided every, every single false doctrine on the face of the earth at least the most important ones. Well, maybe not so quickly. We think of our, our church name, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. And maybe there's just one more lurking little bit of danger. The word evangelical. Talking about the gospel. Talking about, talking about the fact that Jesus is the reason of all we do Jesus is the reason we are who we are. Jesus is who we talk about. Jesus is really the whole point of the Bible and of Christian life. And the temptation lies where the sinful nature rears its ugly head. Every time. The assertion that you're Lutheran. You call yourself a Jesus person, and Jesus talks about forgiveness. Well, then... Why do those other teachings matter so much? It's a common thought. Most recently, it uh, cropped up in the 70s, and it's floating around even more vibrantly today. That as long as the false teaching doesn't deal with Good Friday and Easter Sunday, as long as the false teaching really isn't about forgiveness of sins, and doesn't talk about forgiveness of sins as found in the gospel, then... It doesn't matter. We hear that, and we might think of it, or, or we hear somebody else say it, and, well, sure, if you put it like that, that totally makes sense. I would, I would never fall for that. But the flip side is where the danger lies. The flip side is where the danger lurks. To say that absolutely every bit of God's teaching traces its heart and core back to who Jesus is. Even and especially the teachings that my sinful nature really doesn't like. So for example, what God says about, about fellowship. Come on, we're all in this together, we're all Christians, we all, we all believe that Jesus died to take away our sins, so why does it really matter? false teaching. The bitter pill, the poison, goes down so, so well. It doesn't really matter what we do or who we work with as long as we hold on to what we believe about Jesus. Is that correct? You might say. 
to that, Paul, Paul responds with a resounding no. That it does matter. Or, okay, what about uh, the relationship between, between man and woman? Surely that's just something left over from a, from a previous age, an unenlightened religiosity. You mean you only let men be pastors in your church? How is that loving? I've heard the accusations. We talk about them in Bible class quite regularly. The accusations of the world to say, you, Christian, are not living up to the love of God, and the Christian heart says, you're right! The sinful heart says, I don't get it. The sinful heart says, how can I be a Christian, and how can I really appear to be loving, loving like Jesus, in a world that hates Christianity, I want to present the best images possible, and I want to present my faith as palatable and believable. And there are so many, so many teachings that it seems if we just let that farthest one go a little bit, and if we don't talk about this one as much, as long as we hold on to who is Jesus and what did Jesus do, then we've got it all. Maybe you've been there. The hook has been baited. And maybe there's been a time or two where you've talked with, with family, or friends, or co-workers. You've fallen for the devil's trap, scratched your head, and said, yeah, maybe God is holding out. Maybe, maybe the Word of God really is a convoluted trap, a convoluted mess that we can't really untangle. Maybe what God says in his word here, oh, maybe it doesn't fit with the world today. But what does Jesus say about that? I guess um, by illustration, he talked about building a house on rock and not on sand. And so I'd ask you, picture in your mind's eye, if you went for a hike in the woods, you know, someplace maybe up toward Minneapolis Falls, a little bit of rock and woods all together mixed in and some hills. And you're walking along and you see this enormous boulder or this cliff where a tree is clinging with all of its might. Or this boulder that has a little bit of moss and a little bit of a tree just wisping up through a crack. How did it get there? And what will happen? the assertion that you, Christian, you need to change your definition of love. You need to change your teaching because, because what you teach and what you believe, first of all, doesn't matter, doesn't match up with this world, and second of all, it isn't even faithful to what you say. If God really is love, then why do you teach this? And to all that, Jesus himself says this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on bedrock. The rain came down, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on bedrock. And she still has that image of a cliff with a tree sprouting out the side, or a boulder with a little tree cropping over the top. Come back a few years later, a few decades later, the cliff has crumbled and retreated. The rock has split. 
just a matter of time. And what Jesus is talking about here, when he talks about building your house on the rock, he's saying that who he is and what he does is intimately connected to absolutely every single other teaching that the Bible has to offer. That if you're curious about why why the Wisconsin Synod, for better or for worse, has become known as that church that talks about fellowship, then you first have to find out what the Bible says about atonement. And if you're wondering why our church body is one of the few that has restricted the pastorate for men, then you have to come back first and find out what God says about atonement about where we stand with God. Because look once more at what Paul says here. Verse 24, verse 23 and 24. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that. It sounds familiar. And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What's the subject? Verse 24. Dust off the, the English side of your brain from school. We've got the verb unjustified, modified by that adverb freely. So what's the subject? Who is it that are justified? Verse 23 told us all, all those who have been sinful and who have fallen completely short of the glory of God, all have been justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And right there, if you catch that and you hold on to that with all of your might, then everything else falls right in line. Because the world will say, you Christian, you need to change your terminology, you need to change your teaching so that you match up with our loving and our tolerant world. You need to change so that you match up with the times. And the Christian comes back to Romans chapter 3. Look at who my God is. I know who I am. I know it all too well from experience. And verse 23 told me, in case I was, I was ever forgetting that fact. Fallen short and sinful? Yeah. In verse 24, look who God is. All have been justified freely by the grace of God. Because the, the accusation is really not that you are so backwards and out of step, but that God is not as loving as the world will portray him to be. I'll put that another way. The accusation isn't so much that your doctrine and your teaching is wrong, or that you, dear Christian, you are the one who is backwards, but the accusation is really that God is the one who has messed things up. That God is the one who is intolerant and unloving, as evidenced by all these, these little examples that the world will throw our way. And to all that, God himself says, if you want to know what love is, you have to go to Jesus Christ, where the one sinless died for the sins of all. If you want to know what grace is, look at, look at the grace of God our Father himself. We're purely and only for the sake of Jesus Christ. God declared the whole world of sinful people not guilty. 
Because, yes, you begin to see that every single teaching, whether we're talking about baptism or the inspiration of Scripture or Holy Communion or our work together as a church, the fellowship we enjoy with one another, the warnings about God's truth that we broadcast to other churches, even the, the way that men and women interact within the walls of the church or the home and at large in the world, all of them, all of them, all these teachings take place and are understood and are taught only under the umbrella of God's grace. That God's grace is for you. That, um, that when, when Jesus died and rose, it's like you were standing there at the foot of the cross being showered with the blood of Jesus, with the waters of baptism, where God has said, there is nothing to worry about, because this is the God of love, the God who cannot tolerate sin, who wanted to show his grace to the world, and yet he found a way to reconcile both his justice and all of who he is. That sin must be punished, and yet sinners he spared. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have been justified freely by his grace. That's a truth that doesn't get old, because that's a truth that really gets to the heart and core of every, every doctrine, everything we do. Because if, if what we do doesn't proclaim Christ, then why are we doing it? And if what we do were to promote some other false teaching, why would we do that too? So I ask you then, talk about faith, falsehood, and proper sense of Christian duty. That you stand right with God. And this is the God of love. There's no, there's no other God. He has shown his love by forgiving your sin. And now, now he says there's absolutely nothing that you have to do to live up to his favor. Absolutely nothing that you have to do to pay him back. So where does Christian duty fall? The duty of a, of a father to instruct his children. The duty of a husband and wife to love one another. The duty of a Christian to speak the truth in love. Well, that word duty so often has this sense of obligation. Oh, I've got to do this. It's my duty. Just like I, I pick up this heavy load and I trudge on forward just because it's what I have to do. But the God you serve is the God who has declared you not guilty. Oh, completely and free of charge. The whole idea of duty is like the same duty as um, waking up in the morning and needing to eat. The same duty as, as having the skill and the ability and coming across somebody who needs medical assistance to step in and say, here, let me give you CPR. To, to hook up the AED, whatever the case may be. You see, it's not so much a duty as you know, drudgery and obligation but really duty as opportunity. Because every single person you see, and every single person that you don't see right now, is found there in verse 24. Justified freely by His grace. 
through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Moses reminded us that that faith is passed on from parent to child. So yeah, parents have, have that duty. We hear in the word of God that Christians alone have this truth. And so, yeah, it's our duty. It's also our joy to share. And as we, as we celebrate fatherhood today, as the world takes a moment to pause and thank our fathers, as an example, I can't think of a better example than my own father. He had, um, he raised us, got us to church every Sunday. He served faithfully um, in our in my church growing up, and absolutely every Sunday, he was there. He was um, still is, I guess, an electrical engineer, which means the basic uniform of the job is like the shirt sleeve, white t-shirt, the pocket protector. That was him, still is. But the one thing, the one thing about my dad, he wasn't. He didn't come out a whole lot and say, you know, here's the Bible pastor I want to talk to you about today. Or he didn't sit me down and say, let's talk about the two natures of Christ. He lived out his faith by getting our butts to church. Even and especially in that <laughs> those teenage years, where the teenage, teenagers in all of us um, all kind of rebelled and said, no, Chad said, you are. Because you need to. Because even though you are a young person now and you don't see it and you don't know it and you don't recognize it yet, here alone is your life. Here alone is your life. That Jesus has washed away your sin. That this truth is found in him alone. And really, really as you, you sink your life in who this Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished there, the atonement justified freely by his grace. How could, how could he have not spoken about the grace of our God in his own quiet way? Saying, you come to church because it's your duty. One day you'll see the joy in him. But today, maybe you'll do it under threat of punishment. But now, I see how his words and his actions have been borne out. He's led us to his word. Our Lord has, has built that truth. And he has said to you and to me today, you're Christian. Every doctrine matters. Every teaching matters. Because it goes back to this solid foundation of atonement in Jesus Christ, being justified freely. So in a sense, yes, every false teaching is dangerous. But here, where your faith is founded, you see the duty that God has placed in your life in a new light. That no more running on the hamster wheel of trying to measure up. And no more feeling guilty because of what happened yesterday. No, your sin has been forgiven. And God has laid out the rest of your life right before you. You can just look around as an example. You can see the people that God has placed in your life. He said, now here, here's your opportunity to demonstrate who you are, to share who God is, to talk about the joy of life with Christ. Amen. Please rise.
And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I invite you to turn to page 20 in the front part of your red hymnal for the creating week. prayer of the church today, we continue with the prayer on page 131. Please rise. Page 131. Let us pray, brothers and sisters, for the holy church of God throughout the world, that God, the Almighty Father, gather and guide it so that we may worship Him in peace and tranquility. Almighty and eternal God, you have shown us your glory to all nations in Jesus Christ. Guide the work of the church, help it to persevere in faith, proclaim your word, and bring salvation to people everywhere. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Let us pray for our pastors and teachers and all leaders of the church, and for all the people of God. Almighty and eternal God, your spirit guides the church and makes it holy. 
Strengthen and uphold all who serve you and your people. Keep them in health and safety for the good of the church. Help each of us to do faithfully the work to which you have called us. Lord, in your mercy. Let us pray for those who do not believe in Christ, that the light of the Holy Spirit may show them the way to salvation. Almighty and eternal God, enable those who do not acknowledge Christ to receive the truth of the gospel. Help us, your church, to grow in love for you and for one another, so that we become more perfect witnesses of your love for all people. Lord, in your mercy. Let us pray for those who serve in public office, that God may guide their minds and hearts, so that all of us may live in true peace and freedom. Almighty and eternal God, graciously direct those who have been set in positions of authority among us, so that people everywhere may enjoy justice, peace, freedom, and a share in the goodness of your creation. Lord, in your mercy. Let us pray that God, the Almighty and merciful Father, may heal the sick, comfort the dying, give safety to travelers, and free those being unjustly deprived of liberty. Almighty and eternal God, you give strength to the weary and new courage to those who have lost heart. In your mercy, hear the prayers of all who call on you in any trouble, that they may have the joy of receiving your help in their need. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. We also come to you today in thanks for the fathers that you have given to us. We ask that you continue to bless the fathers of our nation, that they may come to know you in your word, and may pass on this Christian faith to the next generation. All this we ask in the name of Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We continue with the sacrament as found on page 21. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good and right that we should at all times and in all places give you thanks, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord who promised that wherever two or three come together in his name, there he is with them, to shepherd his flock until he comes again in glory. Therefore, with all the saints on earth and hosts of heaven, we praise your holy name and join their glorious song. Thank you. 
Christ, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
continue with the Song of Simeon on page 24. Please rise.
good morning once again. Uh, special welcome to the guests worshiping with us today, um, especially the family of Chris and Deb Selsley. Um, we, a couple of notes, just I'll highlight two of the three that are there. We have some t-shirts downstairs. Um, if you would like one, or you, you haven't had one of our Shepherd Lakes t-shirts before, or you just need a new one, um, when those are gone, we can order some more. Um, so feel free to just grab one today, and then um, they're $14 each, no matter the size. So if you'd like to just designate that on an envelope or a check and deposit that in the uh, offering plate at your convenience, that would be fantastic. It's got our website on the front. Um, maybe I'll explain that briefly. Shepherdandlakes.net or shepherdandlakeslutheranchurch.net. Both of you will take. Both of them will take you to our website. So if somebody asks, you can just say, "This is where I go," and this is where you go to find out more. That was kind of corny. <laughs> um, and I'll have that uh, flyer about the Wells Soccer Camp in August. Um, I've got that in my book bag. I'll grab that after the service here. God bless your week.